my job today is super, super easy, because I'm going to talk about Jesus. And um, we've sung about him, we've declared who he is, and um, for us in this place, it is just a joy to be able to just look at Acts 2 uh, and see Peter, um, one of Jesus' closest disciples, almost forming like the foundations of what a church is about, and that is about Jesus. And it is just an amazing passage I've been given to, to look through today. It's Acts 2.22. It's quite a long uh, passage. We're going to read it together, so it would be great if you have your Bibles with us, because we're going to be looking at it um, and, and taking a huge sweep across it. Because within this 21, 19 verses, um, Peter lays a foundation for the church. He lays a foundation of Jesus. Uh, he lays a foundation of what Jesus has done from uh, from, from when he came as, as a man, through to his resurrection, through to his, re- his ascension, through to his glory and future. And for us as a church, when we think about um, what it means to be a church, what it means, what are the important things that we really focus on, um, again, Peter just reminds us that the first sermon that was ever preached, the first message that was spoken from the apostles to the wider community was about Jesus. And uh, it's it's... Not a motivational message necessarily, as in there's good talks out there which are motivational messages. It's not a message about getting ahead in life or trying to do better. P- Peter's message at the beginning of the church is about the person of Jesus, to testify about him, to testify about the work of who he is, and basically to preach the fullness of who Jesus is. So I want to honor God. I don't want to do it injustice today, but would you just pray with me as we just dive into the word and allow his Holy Spirit to speak to us this evening. So Father, thank you that you sent your son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And because of that, we are here as a church. Because of that, because of the plan you have to redeem this world, we want to exalt Jesus tonight. We want to lift him up in our thinking. We want to lift him up in our response. We want to lift him up in faith, knowing that you have a plan to use our church, but every other church that preaches Christ to be the hope and the future and to be a hope for this nation. So we ask God that you would help us to receive your Holy Spirit tonight and to walk out of here being people who are about Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts is an amazing book. We've been going through it. We're only at chapter 2. Alex did an amazing job last week um, covering the first half of Peter's sermon. Peter's sermon was given at a time where it was called Pentecost. And that's when uh, all Jewish people were gathering around uh, in Jerusalem. Thousands of people would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And in that time, uh, an amazing thing happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and the manifestation of that was people were speaking in different tongues. And Alex last week talked about how um, the response of the people was to be like, how come people are speaking in my language? Intelligible languages were being spoken and praising God. And the response uh, was to basically, uh, to, was to her, Alex, as she spoke to us, was talking about how we are to turn to Jesus. We are to turn to Jesus and we are to hold on to his name as the way in which the salvation comes. And Peter, in this second half of this, of this sermon, which he brings, goes in to basically explain about who this Jesus is. Because don't forget, Jesus uh, was somebody that people knew about. He's, they probably heard rumors about him. He's been, he was crucified in Jerusalem a couple of months before um, this happened uh, and what's happening. And, and Peter chooses as the subject matter of his first sermon to talk about the person of Christ. 
And uh, we're going to read a bit because it's quite a long passage and there's a lot to get through. But I just want to read because it's wonderful to hear just the flow of what Peter's saying. So we're going to read from verse chap- uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through to 41. So it's got a lot. It's got a lot in it. It's got references to Old Testaments, but um, let's try and get our heads around it. So verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, that's King David in the Old Testament, says concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You've made, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received him, the Father promised the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For they did not, David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord says, sit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It is an amazing sermon. It's a real privilege, I think, for us that this was recorded because we get to see the basis of the theology and the understanding of who Jesus is at the very start of the church. There's a lot to say here, but I'm hopefully going to break it down into a few sections to make it manageably, uh, I guess in my mind, to make it in a way able to give us to digest it. But I'm just going to cover a few things. We're going to talk about how Jesus is historical. He is a real person who worked at real times. We're going to talk about Jesus, how he is risen from the dead. We're going to talk about how Jesus is our living hope. We're going to talk about how Jesus is the Lord of all the universe, Lord of all creation. And lastly, we're going to talk about, if I can get my notes in order, we're going to talk about how Jesus is salvation for all who would turn to him and believe. So I love how Peter starts his sermon. He starts his sermon talking about Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God. He starts by saying, when we think about what we should talk about in, this, in church, we should talk about that Jesus is not just a fictional character from Disney or from anywhere else. He is a real person, a real person who lived on earth, who lived a life. He lived in a real place called Nazareth. He witnessed, I mean, it says in this passage, he witnessed powerful miracles that were performed and there were real people, eyewitnesses who witnessed it. And I think about this sometimes because when we think about Jesus in this world and where we live right now in the 21st century, 2,000 years ago, if you talk to most people on the street, 
person of Jesus is pretty, maybe is irrelevant. I think the Church of England in 2015 did a survey, and they found that about 22% of adults in England did not believe Jesus was a real person. Now, that's a pretty hard place to start, isn't it, when you want to talk about Jesus? Is he a fictional character? Or do we have any point of bringing him into conversation because he is purely just someone who has no relevance to people's lives day in, day out. And I'm not sure if you experience that, but he's not the topic of conversation mostly around kind of the coffee station, is he at work, or things like that. But we have to be a people um, as a church who talk about Jesus and know Jesus, not just as a fictional character, but as a real person who you can actually encounter today. And for Peter, in his day and age, People knew about Jesus. There was evidence that Jesus, people knew Jesus was crucified and laid on the cross. And not just that, but people witnesses, witnessed his miracles. They witnessed his, his times on his earth healing and bringing hope and help to people who needed it. So Jesus was a real person. And historically, sometimes it's a bit weird. We kind of say, oh, we need to convince people that Jesus is a real person. And I think one way we do that is through facts and historic evidence the Gospels lay out the truth of who Jesus was and what he did in the four Gospels. And there are texts outside of the Christian church also that reaffirm that Jesus was a real person, a historical figure. And there is a reality that there is factual truth that Jesus did live and walk on this earth. But more than that, the evidence that Jesus was a real person is that we can encounter him today. That we can encounter him as a living person who really is alive and we do that, and one of the ways we, I think, as a church, we have to um, not convince, but, but realize that Jesus is alive, is that he still is working. He's still carrying out and performing miracles and healing and touching people. This is the God that we serve, and he does that through us as his hands and feet. And that's a real challenge for me, because in our Western society, often we talk about miracles and signs and wonders as something that is foreign. But actually, it's something that we are called to live in. And Jesus is alive, still historically carrying out miraculous deeds through his body, the church. And my challenge to you and I and to us is that um, Jesus says this to us in John 14. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus now calls us as his, to be his hands and feet to carry out miracles, to carry out signs and wonders, and to, and to bring the person of Jesus, the hope that he is, just as Jesus did on, this, on the earth 2,000 years ago, he calls us to do that now as his church. And that's an amazing task because it's supernatural. It's beyond my power or your power to do, and it requires faith to believe that you are still called to be his hands and feet and to be the power of miracles and signs and wonders that he will work out through each one of us. I don't know about you, but um, that is what the early church experienced. Acts 5, Acts 14, verse 3, Acts 15, verse 12. God worked out miracles through his church to prove to people that Jesus was alive, that he was alive and living and working to bring attention to himself still. We're called to be a people where signs and wonders follow us. Not in a freaky way and kind of awkward way, but actually to testify about that Jesus is alive and he cares for people and he wants to heal people and he wants to see people saved and released and free. To testify about the goodness of God through signs and wonders. 
Jesus is historical, he's miraculous, and he calls you to be miraculous and to be his hands and feet. That's kind of the first part of what Peter talks about. He talks about how Jesus um, was this amazing God, this amazing man who carried out signs and wonders, and they were witnesses to him. But he was crucified. He was crucified. The central focus of Jesus' message is that this Jesus you crucified. There was a plan by men to destroy Jesus. There was a plan by men to destroy him, but there was also a plan by God to use his death for the salvation of the world. Peter says here in this verse, it says that Jesus um, was delivered up to sinful men and killed, but according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified him. Jesus was involved God was involved through the the sacrifice of his son to redeem mankind. I love how um, salvation wasn't, uh, Jesus' death wasn't an accidental, unfortunate event. It was a purposefully planned way in which God would bring salvation to the world. And Jesus does that by dying on the cross. But not only that, Peter says this, God raised him up. He loosened the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. It's not possible that God could be held by death. And he uses the verse, this this psalm from Psalm 16, which David speaks beautifully about what it means that Jesus could not be held by death. Um, I love it when you find verses in the Bible, Old Testament, which kind of relate to stuff in the New Testament. I just think it's like just proves that God's purpose and plan wasn't accidental, but the foreknowledge of God was already in working through the Old Testament and working through his servants like King David. So if you were to read Psalm 16, and you were to read a whole of Psalm 16, and I think we did that this morning, actually. We read Psalm 16 as a, as a church, and it, it talks about, and, and Peter quotes it here. He quotes part of Psalm 16 and says that in a way, David was saying this psalm in a way to testify about the coming Jesus, about what he would do. You kind of think when you read Psalm 16, it's about me and it's about us. But actually, Peter says that the psalm is about speaking about Jesus, about his coming. It talks about this. It says, he saw the Lord before him. He and he was at my right hand and he will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or you'll let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the path of life. You will make known to me, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. So here, Dave, um, King David is prophesying that Jesus um, will be, he's testifying that the Lord will not be left in the grave. Jesus will not be left to die and be suffering in the grave. David prophesies here that there's going to be a resurrection that he's not going to let his, God's not going to let his Holy One, that's Jesus, see corruption. And also, he says, explains that David's lineage would continue through this Christ who would come, and that he would be the son of David. And that's one of the things that we're calling Jesus in, in, in a Jewish way. What the Jewish people were looking for was somebody of a descendant of David to become the Christ. And Peter beautifully explains that in verse 29 onwards, where he says that David died, he was buried, so he wasn't speaking about himself. He was speaking about someone who was going to come and be a descendant on his throne. And he wouldn't be abandoned to the grave. He wouldn't, Jesus' flesh wouldn't see corruption, but that God would raise him up and that they would be witnesses. 
So this passage, when we read it, when we read David's um, prophecy about Psalm 16, it's speaking about that the fulfillment of all Israel's hopes of the Christ will be found in this Jesus. So this Jesus is amazing because Israel was looking for a Messiah. Israel was looking for somebody to come and save them from the Roman Empire. And Peter is basically saying, here he is. He's Jesus. He's the one you've been putting your hope to. And the same way as we go out to this world, people are looking for a hope. People are looking for a Messiah. People are looking for a way to find what love is, what grace is, what forgiveness is. People are hungry for a reality that they can only find in Jesus. And people might say they're fine, but we know as Christians, we know that there is a deep hole in everybody's lives. And until that is filled with Jesus, they will not be fulfilled. So when we as a church think about Christ, we have to realize that even though people don't recognize it, they do have a need. They do have a need for a Christ in their lives, no matter what they may put up as a front. So for the Jews at that time, they needed to know there was a Savior. Peter presents him as Jesus. But he didn't present him as Jesus who died. He presented him as Jesus who was resurrected from the dead. And for us, um, Jesus' resurrection is everything for us. We say at Easter, don't we, that it's, it's Celebration Sunday. Because on that Sunday, the King of Glory was not held by a grave, but he now is risen and alive and living Peter, Paul actually in Corinthians says this, if Jesus had not been raised and our preaching is in vain, our faith is rubbish. Your faith is futile because in Christ we have hope. If we only have hope in him in this life, we are to be pitied most of all. So when we talk about being about Jesus, we're talking about, we're bearing about him and his resurrection, that we have to live and understanding that Jesus historically was risen from the dead but also we're talking about Jesus that we're experiencing today because he is alive. It's funny, isn't it? Because when we talk about Jesus being alive, I don't know about you, if you go to your friends at work or in the street or around, you know, in your, in your local shops or something, you say, Jesus is alive. They're kind of like, hey, cool, whatever. That's, that's all good for you. But what does it really mean to experience the risen Jesus? It means that we... Um, that we have a living hope. The losing Jesus means that we have something that goes beyond the hope that we have in just this life alone. And Peter goes on to speak about that in the next part of the verses that we see. Um, I love reading Psalms in a way that personalizes it. I don't know about you, sometimes you kind of twist the words and it's like, this is David speaking about it, but also you can speak certain psalms or certain verses in the Bible about your truth and about what it means for you. Uh, when, when you read David's, we're going to read Psalm 16 again, but we're going to read it in a way in which Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And for me, when I think about um, Jesus and what the church is to be about, we're to be about a Jesus who is our living hope. He's not just a historical figure who is in the past. He's not just a factual figure who was resurrected from the dead. But he's actually a personal God who walks with us today and walks with us in our midst. And that should make a reality in our lives. Psalm 16, you can read it like this. You can swap the word Lord with Jesus. Maybe you've got your Bibles you want to follow along, but you can hear it as well. Because Jesus is no longer in the grave, this is what it means. 
Preserve me, O Jesus, for in you I take refuge. I will say to Jesus, you are my Lord. I have no good thing apart from you. Jesus, you are my, po- my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless Jesus who gives me counsel. In the night, my heart instructs me. I have set Jesus always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For Jesus, you will not abandon me to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus, you make known to me the path of life. Jesus, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Jesus, at your right hand, are pleasures evermore. When you read Psalms in that way, and when you read about what Jesus is for you, I wonder if those are just words that you can say confidently about him for yourself. Because when we talk about Jesus to this world, we have to talk about him in a way that really means something to us. The testimony of our lives is what we give to the world about the meaning of who Jesus is. The testimony of my life, is it one that Jesus is my everything? Is it that he has made known to me the path of life? Is it that I see in his presence fullness of joy? Is it that I see Jesus at his right hand are pleasures for me forevermore? And for us as a church, as we think about what it means to preach Jesus, it's to tell about him historically, it's to tell about his miracles, it's to tell about he's resurrected. But more importantly, I think it's to testify that he is real, alive, and he's shaping every fiber of my life. When we live that out, church, when we live that out, that's how people see Jesus and then we encounter him because they see it in Johnny. They see it in Joseph. They see it in our friends, every single one of us here, living out Jesus, impacting every area of our lives. When Jesus becomes your hope for this life, but beyond this life, you live differently and Jesus is your living hope. And that's what Peter wants us to know. He wants us to know that this psalm is a is a, is a prophecy over us that Jesus says that I will be your God I will not abandon you you will have hope now and for the future so my question to us as a church is how are we living are we living as if Jesus is our everything do our friends see it in the way we use our money do the friend do our people at work see it in the way we treat other people as Jesus is our Lord the practical working out of having Jesus our hope that he becomes everything. We become saturated with pleasing him and honoring him in every facet of our life. That is how Jesus will be seen. And that's how the church will show that Jesus is alive. It's a lot to go through here. Let's have a look quickly that Jesus, the next part of what Peter preaches about is that Jesus is the Lord of the universe. It says this. Where does it say it? Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, I will make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think, when we present Jesus to the world, we obviously present him as historical. We present him as the guy who died on the cross at Easter. We talk about him as the one who's resurrected and now is alive and living, and some people will get that. 
But there's also a future vision or a present vision of Jesus, whom we, which we really have to have as a church as well. And sometimes we, we, we don't always, well, personally for me, maybe it's for me, I don't always see Jesus in this light. And that is the light in which we see Jesus as the king and glorious king of all the creation, as, uni- as of the universe. And um, we have pictures of this in Revelations, don't we? We have pictures of the elders laying down their crowns and bowing before the Lamb of God. We have pictures of a rider with a, dressed in white with blood dripping from his crowns as he goes out and conquers and destroys all evil on the earth. Where is Jesus right now? And Peter answers that. He says that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Verse 33. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. What does that mean? Peter's quoting here from Psalms 110, where Peter basically says that Jesus is now victorious. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. The right hand is an equivalence of his power, honor, and authority with God So our vision of Jesus has to be one where we see him as that ultimate authority in all of creation, all of the universe. Peter uses these words. He says that he is both Lord and Christ in verse 36. And when he says Lord, that's from the word kuros, which basically means he is supreme in all authority. And when he uses the word Christ, it means he's the anointed one, the one who is like no other, the chosen one. So Peter's saying that this Jesus is the chosen one of all authority, all anointed one. So we have this picture of an authoritative God, this Jesus, who is high above anyone else. But also Jesus, um, Peter gives us this other picture of Jesus. He has this picture of Jesus standing above his enemies and his enemies being a footstool, standing on top of their enemies. And that's a picture of judgment, and that's a picture of authority where Christ will reign. Christ does have enemies, and they shall be crushed and subdued beneath him. And for me, when I first read that, I was a bit uneasy with that picture of Jesus, because the picture we have sometimes of Jesus in the church and what we present to the world is one of Jesus mild, Jesus kind, Jesus gracious, oh, let's lift up the broken, let's, let's do that. And he is all of those things. He is kindness and grace and love personified. But also there is an air of Jesus that he will be the judge and he will bring a finality to evil and he will bring justice and condemnation of all that is painful and horrible and evil in this world. There will be a day of judgment for all those who reject Jesus as the rightful king of glory. And we have to hold that as a church as well, because if we don't hold that, then we get into this sometimes wishy-washy elements of that. We, we don't live as if Jesus is coming again, but he will. And when we see him knowing that he's going to destroy Satan and demons, but also humanity, which does not bow to him, um, then we have to confront people with that choice that there will be a day And there will be a time when those who reject Jesus will have rejected God, rejected his offer of salvation, rejected his authority and their rule to place Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's a tough place to be because people don't like to hear that. Certainly, um, this world does not want to hear that. But we have to preach a Jesus who is the judge, who is going to bring justice and bring an end to evil. 
I think people find it hard sometimes because they see authority sometimes as something that is threatening. And um, I don't know about you, but I've been watching um, with my, my kids Lord of the Rings recently. We just started, and I thought this is the right time. It's a bit DVD, like, you know, not high definition. But, um, but they are quite interested because one of the things that we sometimes see, we see in Lord of the Rings an evil authority, don't we? We see an authority that wants to crush and lord over and bring to subjection through evil and pain and bring darkness and destruction to your free people. That's kind of what we see in the pictures of Lord of the Rings. Or maybe we, the Star Wars fans, maybe that's some of us here as well. We see the evil empire coming and trying to destroy and there's a rebellion and there's freedom fighters and there Luke Skywalker and Han Solo are in that crowd and uh, Darth Vader on the other side is a dark side. And that's sometimes the way in which the modern world, the Western world, sees authority. They see it as a threat to their autonomy, to their own personal freedom, that we are masters of ourselves, and therefore any authority which is coming over us, or you're saying is going to be over us, is therefore evil. But we have to realize that people are not free. Without Christ, people are bondage to sin. They're enslaved to death. People are not free. Christ came that he would bring freedom. He would free the captives. And, but unfortunately, people can't see that. But we see it as those who are in the church. And we therefore offer freedom to them through the lordship and authority of Jesus. And Peter does that in this verse. He talks about how Jesus is the one who offers himself crucified. And people are cut to the heart because they see the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to see their need for him. I love Jesus because the way in which Jesus brings about freedom is not by crushing people. He does it by crushing himself. It is Jesus, is our Jesus who loves his enemies by offering forgiveness freely for those who would believe, even to those who crucified him. I love from Peter here, it says that, Peter says that this Jesus who is Lord and King is the ones that you crucified He's pointing and confronting them. You are the ones who crucified the Lord of glory. But that Lord of glory offers you that forgiveness, even for those of you who crucified him. That is the God that we serve. That is the heart of God towards his enemies, that they would not perish, but they would find him and have eternal life. And that is what we offer to the world as well. We present Jesus with truth, but also with grace. So we have to be that kind of people the people who offer the reality of a judgment, but also the salvation that comes and the forgiveness that comes through him. So what is the outcome of what happens here? People are saved. People are cut to the heart. And they cry out, what shall we do? What shall we do? And at this point you think, wow, if only that would happen when I turn up at work tomorrow. <laughs> and I talk about Jesus, and I live out Jesus, and I show him he's my treasure, and I talk about him as, you know, one day there's going to be a judgment, but he offers you forgiveness. Wouldn't it be amazing suddenly that the Holy Spirit goes, and our heart's illuminated? And that is what the Holy Spirit does here. He's sending us out as a people to, to preach his truth, to preach about who Jesus is, and allow him to change people's hearts, to allow them cut to the heart, because salvation is his. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People repent in this passage. They call on the name of Jesus. They are forgiven for their sins. They receive the Holy Spirit that was promised. 
And that's what will happen when we preach Jesus faithfully. When we choose to bring who Jesus is to our world, people will be saved. People will be baptized in his name. People will find forgiveness for their sins. And that doesn't come through clever preaching, but being faithful and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work of conviction and truth and bringing the reality of Jesus. So our call to us this evening, as we think about the fullness of who Jesus that Peter presents here, is a challenge. Will you live by faith and walk and ask for signs and wonders to testify that Jesus is alive today? Will you be his hands and feet? Will you speak about his resurrection from the dead and the hope that you are living in right now as it shapes and forms your life, your decisions, your choices? Will you live in a way that makes Jesus your treasure? He is my hope. In him I have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Is that the testimony of your life to the world around you? Will you be brave and testify to the truth that judgment is coming for those who are outside of Christ, but grace and salvation is available for you now. Each one of us is called to bring that message to the places that God has called us. And would we pray with our knees on the ground for the Holy Spirit to be sent and to bring salvation and forgiveness and conviction to our loved ones and those whom God has called us to. That is what Peter is calling the church to be, a people about Jesus, and to live our lives in such a way that honors him. Would you pray with me as we close? Lord Jesus, just as we've sung this morning, this evening, would you send your Holy Spirit on your church? We want to see signs and wonders that follow us, not for our glory, but to show people in this world that you are alive and living. Would we be brave in praying for healing? Would we have words of knowledge that will release people to an awareness that there is a God who loves them? Would you fill your people now with that confidence to call on the name of Jesus, to bring hope into people's lives, to awaken people's souls? Lord, you are the Lord in Christ. As Peter said, you are Lord in Christ. You are our Lord in Christ. Would we live in such a way that honors you and shows the world that you are our treasure? Give us the joy of making choices that are sacrificial so that the world will see that you are worth more than gold and silver, prestige, honor, because we're satisfied in you. Lord, may we have the privilege of being your witness. Would we have the privilege of seeing this city, seeing our friends, seeing our family come to Christ. But this nation too, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said that you came to seek and save the lost. Would we be on that mission, Lord, that you would come, bring salvation to this country from this place here in Forest Town Church here in St. Albans would your gospel go out with the truth of Jesus go into all the places that we will go into this week and would we honor you and would you bring salvation in Jesus name I pray
Amen.